At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From the All-Star break, everyone. And we got a lot to get to. We got to do our awards. We haven't done that since the beginning of January. Much uh, has changed. We got this one. And then, of course, we'll have our end of season awards in April as well. So let's get right into it, Danny. There's been so much discussion of the MVP. Who is your MVP through today, February 24th, 2022? It's a challenge because I think at this point, and hopefully this will change between now and the end of the regular season, but to me, two of the best players in the league this year haven't played as many minutes as some of the other MVP candidates. And so the idea is kind of like, how do you value per minute contribution versus total amount played? And you and I both agree that how much time you spend on the court, especially if it's not mitigated by, oh, you were blowing teams out by so much that you didn't play in fourth, something like that. Just like you missed five games, you missed 10 games. That that matters to a team. It's most valuable player. It's not best player. It's not most outstanding. If that's what the league wanted to give, that's what the league would give. And so for me, there are four players that are seriously considered. There are others that were playing at a high level, but just haven't played enough. Like Kevin Durant's a good example there. Like he's not considered for me. He's missed much time. Those four in no particular order, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Stephen Curry, Nikola Jokic, and Joel Embiid. So those are those to me are, are the top four. I would be surprised if your top four was different than that in some configuration. And my number one is Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I ultimately went with Jokic in the end and remarkable that we are again trying to decide between he and Joel Embiid as was the case last year. Year. Embiid ended up getting injured a little bit too much for him to really get into it. As of now, Jokic has played 52 games. Embiid has played 46. And ultimately, though, I think what got me the most, I, I think if you look at some of their traditional stats, they're pretty close, uh, I- including some of just the pure box score based metrics. You know, Jokic 32.6 PR, Embiid 31.8. Both those guys are kind of breaking that metric. But I would say Jokic is the better offensive player than Embiid pretty clearly. Do you agree with that? I would, especially with the passing, the way that he is the focal point of the Nuggets offense, even more so because Jamal Murray's been out. No, Embiid has missed plenty of important players too, but I would agree. Jokic, I I think the argument right now is that Jokic is the best offensive player in the NBA at the moment. Yeah, I I think that that's pretty clear, especially with Curry just not converting on his own quite as much. He still has an unbelievable effect, as we'll talk about later on. But, you know, I think also Jokic is a lot more efficient than Joel Embiid as well four percentage points better in terms of true shooting and he does have more turnovers than a 
Embiid, but obviously he has so many more assists than Embiid does as well. The best passing big man ever. And the other thing that struck me is, you know, I, I think Jokic in many, if not all of the impact metrics, whether you're looking at on off, you know, EPM, they're pretty close. Jokic is one and Embiid is three uh, with most of that difference coming on the offensive end where Jokic is 1.5 points better than Joel Embiid in EPM. And I just don't think that they're the difference in their defense is that big. Jokic, I still, I think Embiid will be the better playoff defender. I think he overall is better defender. I don't think Embiid's defense has been quite at the same level this season as it has been previously. And I think Jokic has been by far the best, including those four clutch blocks, I think, that, that he's had on a game tying or game winning field goal attempts against in the last 10 seconds of the game. So I think it's relatively, I would say that Jokic's edge over Embiid on the offensive end exceeds what Embiid's edge in the regular season is over Jokic. And then you also throw in that Jokic has an advantage as we record this of 203 more minutes played. And I did end up with Nikola Jokic as my MVP. I am still skeptical of the the way that some of the on-offs, especially EPM, RPM is, is unavailable. So we can't use that to compare. I, I think they're too rosy on Jokic just because their personnel when he's off the floor is so ill-fitting that he's getting a little bit of extra credit for that. Sure. But he's still been more positive than he's ever been. He's narrowed that margin. I think, like you, that Embiid has been a little bit worse defensively than he has before. So the there is this interesting argument about who the permitted MVP is, which is not the same thing. And to me, the person who... And will come up times during this podcast the person who is in that hasn't been as much in national discussion is Giannis Antetokounmpo and a big part of the reason I'll save most of this for defensive player of the year because he will come up there on my end is that Giannis is getting very little credit for the Bucks defensive success but I I vehemently disagree with that and offensively Giannis is I would say he's he's not at the same level as Jokic and Embiid for the guy that he's been over the last couple months like not the full season but like Embiid has been better offensively than than Giannis I would say overall but Giannis is in the same ballpark and so the argument for him in this conversation is actually very similar to what it has been at a couple points when he has actually won the MVP and his, his defensive impact stuff is is not there in terms of the on off but I'll get into more of that later and the downside for Giannis is that he's missed 10 games and 10 games is a whole lot especially relative to not remotely the complete season yet I ended up with Giannis third and Embiid fourth because Stephen Curry while I would say he is the fourth best of these players per minute he's just played an ungodly amount of time he's at almost 1900 minutes while Giannis is at 16 and Embiid is at 15 so is is Curry playing worse than those other gentlemen yes I would say so but I don't think he's playing like four games worse than them so Curry is an unenthusiastic second and then I have Giannis third Embiid yeah I couldn't go there with Steph I think he just hasn't been close to love with other three guys early in the season yes but he just in terms of his own individual scoring it just hasn't been there only shooting what is it, 37 percent 38 percent three at this point in time his two-point game has gotten a little bit better because he's kind of been emphasizing it more lately uh you know golden state's overall performance falling off a little bit i do think he's having his best distribution season and i who knows what our peers would say it wouldn't shock me if most of our peers would say that curry should be fifth and demar Derozan should be fourth which i don't necessarily agree with um but and i think Curry's a, a better player than Rosen overall. His his impact on the offense 
is more transformative. And I, I think Curry is a better cog in the machine defensively. The Drozen will come up in this conversation, but he's not, to me, he's not tough. Yeah, that's really surprising to me, though. I mean, I, I thought I, it was a very tough call between those top three for me of Jokic and Nakumpo and Embiid. I mean, so, so Stephen Curry versus, let's do Steph versus Joel Embiid. I, I, I mean, okay. per minute, it wasn't, it wasn't that close to me. I mean, I, I agree with you there. So it's 1881 minutes versus 315 minutes. So if we're going to use, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. 315 is the difference. Okay. So if you want to, so if you, but if you want to scale this out for, let's call it 36 minutes per game, that's 10 games played over the course of a season. And I think Joel Embiid has been phenomenal. I do not think Joel Embiid has been 20% roughly, let's call it that, maybe 15 if you want to say that, percent better than Stephen Curry. I just don't. And I think he's been better. And I I think that there, especially because of the recency bias, that Joel Embiid has been so much better than Stephen Curry over the last six weeks. That matters. And this is not meant to be a predictive award. This is, as you and I do this exercise, this is where things are right now. And so my, you know, I, I know that I'm alone here in the wilderness, but I care that Joel Embiid has played better. I think that Joel Embiid will pass Stephen Curry by the end of the year. But 10 games better? I, I just don't see it. Well, part part of Embiid missing time too was due to COVID, which I, I, but, I mean, but that I still counts. Yeah, I, I don't want to penalize it. Oh, I, I, that I in mean, this weird ass year. Yeah, um, I, and I, I would I, say that since the beginning of December, Embiid has been significantly better than Curry. Not necessarily just the last six weeks. That's um, that's fine, but I mean, the, there's still roughly let's call it six weeks before that. Yeah. Um. So so I I understand what you're saying here, but I I think that the like he's just been so clearly better to me than Curry that I'm. Willing to like uh, put it this way, right? Like I don't think that I, I'm willing to use the minutes as a tiebreaker when I think it's close, but I just don't think it's close between. So, uh, so you think guys. it's? Do you think the margin is larger than you think it's larger than fifty, like fifteen percent? Let's say as the as the proxy, you think Embiid well, is? I, I mean, you're, you're that's kind of apples and oranges to say okay, fifteen percent more minutes versus what is a fifteen percent better player? Like that, that, I don't know that you can really make that comparison as easily as you're making it, at least in my mind. Uh, um, and also, I, I think. That, just generally, I think Embiid has just been in a different class this year than Curry has. If Curry continued to play the way he did the first month of the season, then I think he would be right in there. But he just, I mean, he's really, yes, he has this great impact offensively, but he's gone through like a six-week slump that Embiid just hasn't had. This He's been more reliable, I would say, for his team. Um, And, and I guess, you know, Giannis, I think is the best. I, I think Giannis is having maybe his best offense. I don't think he's having his best defense and he still is probably of Jokic and Embiid and Giannis. He's probably Wait, the best defensive. Can player. I make one note? You talked about how Embiid, he, part of it is because he missed time. He was, he had, I mean, he only played five games in November, but he had 54% true shooting. The games he played, remember, we talked about this. We worried that he just wasn't that guy. I think he's getting a, and COVID is an, is an important factor here. We, we know he said he was really in a bad way. But to say that he never had a bad stretch of this season, you can say that we're mitigating circumstances. But to say that he never had a rough stretch, I think that's unfair. Well, but only five games. That's well, no, it was the remember. first, the first, he only played 11 games in the first month and a half of the season, but he wasn't that guy. We were freaked out about it. I remember. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would say that he's made up for it, for it since then. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I, I, you could probably potentially sell me on Stephen Curry still being a better player than Joel Embiid, but I just like, and maybe 
Steph is a victim of his own incredible success, but it just you just haven't felt Stephen Curry on a game-to-game basis the way that you felt Joel Embiid to me, and particularly over the last two and a half months, which is you know much more than fifty percent. Um, I mean, should we talk a little bit more about Giannis here? I think his case is generally underappreciated, and he's he's having this nice offensive year, and all. <sighs> It's, it's funny, I don't want to jump my own conversation for later on, but let's let's use EPM as a rough proxy. Like EPM has it that Giannis and Jokic are roughly even per minute in defense. And then Joel Embiid is about that same level too. I personally think that that, that EPM is underrating Giannis's defense and potentially overrating Jokic. And then Embiid, it's a little bit, it's a little bit yeah. complicated. Well, it's also overrating Curry's for that matter. Like he's, oh, he's yeah, listed for as sure. the same. Um, he's actually above the yeah. other three, which is ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah, that that is uh, not correct. That he's as good as, as those guys are. Uh, I, I mean, we've we've had the argument as last year that you know if you're trying to build a championship contender, you'd rather have Curry because of, of Jokic's limitations defensively in the playoffs. Whereas Curry, you can still he's not the linchpin of the defense, and so you can still have a very good defense. I don't think we need to get into that here. But yeah, I mean, I think Giannis, you know, him shooting over seventy percent from the line is huge. I think he's added this mid range jumper that you know it's it's not amazing from a percentage point, but you're actually to be able to see him go between his legs a few times and pull up in someone's face you know especially like it just needs to be good enough that you can't just dump a center on him defensively and obviously the Bucks depth has been pretty compromised and we'll get into defensive player of the year a little bit more I, I think again you know if I had to say who is the best player out of Jokic Giannis and Embiid I would go with Giannis I think but I just don't think he's quite been at the same level as a defensive player granted he hasn't had the same cast around him as had in previous years and I think Jokic is just been so incredibly good and I wanted to give another stat on, on that by the way and Jokic obviously we noted that he's just completely breaking Raptor where he's at 14.8 and the next highest guy is at 7.9 that's Giannis but part of the reason for that I don't recall ever seeing an on-off differential like this Nikola Jokic as of now Berkeley in the glass. The Nuggets are 25.2 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. And for context, last year, I think the league leader was Draymond Green at like a 15 in that stat. They are 15 points per 100 better on offense. All of that is real. That and Now, granted, they are they don't have Jamal Murray. They don't have Michael Porter Jr. They're a limited team, but they're not just like so incredibly hopeless. Uh, and then on defense, they don't really play a backup center. It's Najee and Jamichael Green or Jeff Green at time. You know, so they're not, just Jokic is not some unbelievable defensive center but he is a center and he does provide something that no one else in the roster does so they're 10 points per 100 better on defense I would be more likely to discount that although certainly Jokic is an awesome defensive rebounder and one yes. of the ways in which they are way better defensively with him on the floor is that they allow he cuts opponent offensive rebounding by four percentage points when he's out there which is a really good number so that that part of their defense you know, he does contribute you know certainly there's some luck in involved there but and the rest of the team sucks but like you still have to give respect to that number which is again sure. i can't i didn't go through cleaning the glass the last 15 years to compare it but i can't remember ever seeing a number that high at this point he has been he has been awesome and even if there is some noise in that which i think is about this like the the on of the talent not being representative that he, it's still absolutely incredible he's still you know number one in both of our rankings for a reason did you end up with curry fourth then i did end up uh, with him fourth uh, i had him beat 
Embiid's second, by the way, and Giannis third. Although I think between those two, it's extremely close. That's probably going to come down to the wire. Uh, and Steph, I mean, you just, the box score numbers haven't quite been there. You can look at the impact numbers, but it's 59% true shooting. That is just not at the same level of Giannis at 63%, Embiid at 61% on 37% usage. And those guys being more valuable regular season defensive players. I mean, that's, that's one, like, that's the version of usage. But then if you also want to throw in their role within the offense, I mean, actually, that's an underrated part of Giannis's game. His assist per 100 possessions the same as Steph Curry's right now, but yeah. Embiid has a smaller one. Yeah. And, and, I, and I do think Steph's game has been underrated from a distribution standpoint now that he's having his best passing season probably since 2015 because he's had to handle more of the offense. And, you know, he's just not making three pointers or two pointers at the same rate. And, you know, if you look at the numbers when he's on the floor offensively, they're still very, very good. I think they're at a 114 offensive rating, best in the league type of levels when he's out there. And the, the on off numbers for him are very, very exciting as well. Less exciting if you're a Golden State bench guy. So, uh, yeah, I thought he was still a pretty clear number four to me, even if, and also then he has the playing time advantage over basically everyone else except for DeRozan. I think DeRozan is more of a defensive liability. DeRozan certainly deserves some credit for what he's done in the clutch. That's going to come up probably more in the all NBA discussion. But again, I still don't think DeRozan is the same class player as Steph Curry. Steph Curry's on a better team and, uh, you know, certainly has had a lot more around him. But yeah, I thought Steph was a pretty clear number. And then fifth, I really struggled. I struggled with it too. And part of it was another iteration of the same discussion about per minute impact versus total minute impact. I seriously considered three different players for five. It's unfortunate that like Kevin Durant and Jimmy Butler just haven't played enough. They're not, I mean, they've been excellent when they've been out there. They're not, they're not close enough here. And the three guys that I considered were DeMar DeRozan. We've already brought him up. LeBron James and Chris Paul. And LeBron's argument is very similar to Joel Embiid and Giannis's argument, which is he is not only the best of those players, but he has been, he has been the best per minute of them. And like, I mean, LeBron's only played 1500. He's missed, missed time but he's had to carry yeah. a bigger he, burden he's played fewer games but he's played a ton of minutes in the game in the games he's played, played. yes that's which, very which I, I would default a little bit more towards game than minute that that personally. helps ba- that helps balance out some of the like Giannis potentially or some other guys sitting in the fourth quarter like those sorts yeah I, I think that's fair so if you want to go in terms of games played 41 for LeBron 55 for DeRozan 58 for Chris Paul and LeBron he's been excellent like, I, I think that the the argument for him is is very is very easy he's the leader of that group in per he's the leader of that group in shooting he has a he has a usage rate you know the using the basketball reference version of it that is actually slightly behind amar rosen but if you add in assist percentages as you know that that makes it higher his overall role within the offense is higher than either rosen or paul chris paul's role within the offense is almost all passing because his scoring like his more scoring usage is only 20 percent. man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone 
is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique mattresses everybody sleeps differently and helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm going to be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so like lebron's case is easy to rosen i mean he's been huge in the clutch he has been a successful part of their defense in a way that i did not anticipate he has been incredibly efficient 60 percent true shooting on the air no i i i so i think there's a clear argument for either of those but i actually ended up going with chris paul continuing my theme of going with accumulators over the better per minute players chris paul is at 1900 minutes at this point it's a crazy large amount and it's also because the suns not only it's not because the suns 
Suns have been the best team in the league and because they've been better than we anticipated. But part of the reason that the Suns have been so good and part of the reason I'm so impressed by it is that this year they've had to withstand absences in a way that they did not last year. And I see Chris Paul as a major part of that story because when Devin Booker has missed time or when Devin Booker has been off the floor, Chris Paul has been the guy and the team has been really good. If you want to look at the the net rating, Chris Paul on Devin Booker off plus 11.2. They've been good on offense. That's, they've been great on defense. An impressive stat. And so he, to me, Chris Paul, and we, I, I mean, I brought this up a little while ago in terms of DeRo- like a couple in all NBA a little while ago that DeRozan, you know, the DeRozan on Levine off numbers have been quite good as well. I haven't, I didn't recheck those for that, but, and Chris Paul doesn't get all the credit for like the defensive part of that, but he does get some. He is the, to me, he is a, a very good defender for his position, even if his position is lower utility. And also like campaigns been out, like a lot of the other creators haven't been there. So it has been a different kind of season for CP. I am convinced that his case will be, well, I mean, he's not going to win it now because of the the injury, which is so unfortunate, but he, I think he's been the fifth most valuable player in the NBA so far this year. Yeah, I couldn't quite go there. I, I had him in the mix, but not as much. It came down to DeRozan and LeBron. For me, I think LeBron's stats are very good. They're ridiculous. But it, it's important to remember how that's being compiled with him playing at center and them just not able to stop anybody as a result of that. And even when he's playing at center except maybe at the end of games or in certain other times he's not actually guarding the other team center right I, I think if you could say you know like Draymond Green when he would play center he gets to reap the benefits offensively of being a smaller guy being at center being guarded by a larger player but that's also because he brings it on the defensive end and, and LeBron he kind of even when he's playing center on offense he's still kind of messing up their defense by not necessarily guarding the biggest player you know like they're not gonna if they're playing the Nuggets they're not gonna just throw him on Jokic every possession right like so now you're you're gonna put whoever the minimum wing du jour is on Jokic, and now you got a double team there's no way to have a good defense there part of why of course he has to play center is because they got russell westbrook on the team too and ad has been out and they don't have any good traditional centers there are a lot of reasons for that but as you look at those stats those stats are a little bit misleading like they are giving it back on the defensive end by LeBron having him cent- play center on offense lebron at center 114 defensive rating that is yeah. well well below average they've been great on offense but it's a lebron james team that has and those are the lineups that have a lot of shooting part of the reason we've got so aggressive against rob palinka's offseason and so yeah i mean i and so you do run into the question of like yeah well if, if demar DeRozan was playing center the bulls defense would also suck but it's yeah so so did you end up going with DeRozan over lebron yeah i did particularly when you consider how awesome he's been in the clutch as well and how he's played 14 more games than lebron and has managed to keep this bulls team afloat over really the last month and a half when they just haven't had much else and yeah i mean i certainly never thought that i would be discussing demar Derozan as the number five guy on my mvp ballot but that is He's certainly a, he, been the case. he has earned it i mean i didn't put him there but he has earned a place in this conversation and kudos to him for that yeah and, and again you know if we're talking about the playoffs and you know clutch performance it does matter we're talking about value that is same thing with cp same thing with devin booker in fact which will come up later uh, all of that matters that's in your ledger this is not necessarily predictive demar Derozan will not be number five on my top 10 players in the NBA but we're talking about what's occurred this season uh, it's been very impressive let's get to first team all NBA here do you want to do it in terms of positions or do you want to do first team second team third now let's go through positions here I think we can note again that I'm guessing you're probably the same way that you had DeRozan as a forward because he is thank you <laughs> that that's the, the truth is always a good reason to to do something it, it's not even a it's not even a close conversation with the way he is with the positions no. he is defend with Chicago Bulls actually just as it was with the 
San Antonio Spurs the last <laughs> years, and we don't have to ludicrous. Um, I think we could start with center just because it's the fastest. Um, Jokic Embiid is a fascinating question. This goes into like last year, I had Embiid as the permitted MVP, and I had him over Jokic. I don't think it's as clear cut this year. I think I have Jokic. I have Jokic one, Embiid two, and then third place goes to. There's really no other competition uh, below Gobert that even get into it. Maybe if Bam Adebayo, who is finally actually having the defensive impact this year that we hoped he would have uh, from a statistical standpoint, but hasn't, you know, he missed a bunch of time with that uh, thumb issue. So yeah, and also just seeing what happened to Jazz Gobert. I, I sometimes that could be too facile of an analysis, but yeah, he's pretty important. He is, and so I think then we can go to the forward line. Giannis is clearly first team. We both had him top four in the MVP. And oh, as a point of clarification, I know longtime listeners will know this. The way that I personally approach all NBA is there is a hard line with half of your team's gameplay. If you have played fewer than that, you are not you are not considered for this under any circumstances. However, the way I do it is that if you have crossed that threshold, it is entirely most outstanding. I don't care if you've played 40 games or you played 60 games. It's who played the best. And that is not necessarily how everybody sees it. But to me, all NBA is trying to measure who was the best in the NBA this year, not who played the most. That is my personal philosophy that will inform some of us. Yeah, and I'm I'm willing to consider minutes more as a tiebreaker. But I also keep in mind the aspect of this that is for posterity, not that you and I have official votes. But nonetheless, I, I just, yeah, if it's getting to the point where I'm like, man, this guy is just clearly we know he's a better player than these other guys. It gets pretty difficult to have him be behind someone unless the minutes differential or the games differential is just massive. Sure. So I went, I had Giannis kind of in a separate tier by him because he wasn't in the conversation. Then I had four players in the next group, which is challenging because that means one is first team, one is third team, and two are second team. That group is the two we talked about in MVP, LeBron and DeMar DeRozan, who are both forwards, along with Kevin Durant and Jimmy Buck, who I think would be in the MVP conversation if they had played enough, but they haven't, but they have played more than half of their two games. How I ended up splitting it, and it's close, like it is really close between those guys i went lebron first team kevin durant jimmy butler second team DeRozan third team but any order that's the idea of tiers any order of those four i would have no opposition yeah unlike you i don't i consider mvp the mvp analysis to be relatively close to my all nba analysis so i had DeRozan on the first team as my other forward next to Giannis. then i had lebron and kd on the second team and then i thought actually third team was very easy to me uh jimmy butler and jason tatum now Interesting. who jason Tatum is not having an unbelievably efficient season. He's come on though. He's up to 55% true shooting. But yet again, as with basically every season, the on-off numbers in favor of him are, are just crazy on both end floor. Uh, who else did you have in the forward mix if not Jason Tatum? Tatum is firmly in the mix. Okay. And and I ended up choosing him as well. But I can seriously consider Draymond Green, who has played enough to qualify here, at least for the time being. And also Pascal Siakam. Siakam coming on strong. I thought he's played well for the for the Raptors overall and he's they're Tatum and Siakam are different defensive players but they're and they're different offensive players too which kind of makes the comparison so fascinating but I agree with you but I thought it was I thought it was worth mentioning those two I seriously considered them but Tatum has been the best yeah Tatum has basically played an entire season and Draymond has been close so uh and I think Tatum again you know Siakam didn't even play for what the first month and a half month of the season so yeah and I think 
Tatum is probably better than maybe Draymond at his peak is about as good as Tatum. But again, I mean, Draymond basically hasn't played since like December 20th. I think Christmas was like the last game to play before he first got COVID, which again, I try not to count. And then obviously this, this weird back slash calf shoe that is one of the biggest question marks of the end of the regular season. So yeah, but I, I thought, so it sounds like we're pretty close here, except you, because you have this different criteria for all NBA versus MVP, you had DeRozan down below. And, and I agree, you know, LeBron and KD are and probably even Jimmy Butler, I would say, are better. Than, but particularly when you throw in the clutch stats, DeRozan, and just so we have those in front of us here, DeMar DeRozan, 36% usage in the clutch, 68% true shooting, basically never turns it over. And the Bulls are 19 and 10 in the 29 clutch games that he has played 23.0 net rating when he's on the floor, which again, I... That's just awesome. No, it, it is. Although he's not even necessarily having the best clutch season of anybody as we get to. So let's get into the guards now. Stephen Curry, no arguments for first team. I really struggled though with the next three guard spots. I thought that Trey Young, John Morant, and Chris Paul were all extremely close there. I assume most people are going to put Chris Paul on there. Uh, we should probably read his clutch stats while we're we're discussing this matter. Do you have them handy? I don't. I do. So Chris Paul, thirty percent usage in the clutch, which is much higher than the twenty percent. Sixty-eight percent true shooting. Fifty point five net rating and sons <laughs> sons are 22 and 3 in clutch games that chris paul has played in that were within five points in the last five minutes and, and the sons overall are on the way to having one of the greatest clutch season of all time right up there with the 15 16 warriors the 12 13 heat and uh chris paul obviously is a huge huge reason why although uh his teammate also has been uh pretty damn good to, and we'll figure it in this so ultimately though i i actually went with trey young on my first team over chris paul and yes i realized i think trey to me has clearly been the best offensive player of that trio would you buy that or no i would and not that epm is gospel but offensive epm firmly agrees trey young plus 6.2 offensive epm that's above steph curry actually morant plus 4.8 Chris Paul plus 3.8 Chris Paul is clearly a better defender than the other but he has been absolutely the best offensively and also again not a huge factor for me in all NBA but Trey has played a lot you know he he's played 1800 minutes so far this year that's fewer than Chris Paul but not dramatically so I have no qualms about Trey I mean I I, I nearly put him first team as well he's been he's been awesome and yeah as and, and, and one more thing on Trey too uh he is third in the NBA or, I'm sorry fourth let's try this again second among players who aren't Nikola Jokic or play a bunch of their minutes with Nikola Jokic in terms of differential on offense with him on or off the floor 10.5 points per 100 better when he is on the floor now the Hawks are also 6.1 points per 100 worse on defense when he's on the floor and he does very much contribute to that he is the worst defender of any of these players I still continue to say that you know it's not like it's impossible to build a decent defense around this guy that he is a guard that these guys get crapped on a lot when they're on bad defenses and but then you put some pieces around them and they don't look as bad. Um, and I think just the incredible offense season that he's having, you know, I think I rated him as the second best passer in the NBA. He's actually gotten more efficient this year. He's actually out shooting Steph Curry on three pointers this year as well. Uh, although it still does take the same volume. Nobody does as Steph. And he's gotten past this whole foul thing to have even a better statistical season that he did last year. Uh, and he's, and just the numbers for the Hawks when he's on the floor again with like, you know, is this some unbelievably 
talented Hawks team around him and it's not like they're they have nobody behind him either for this on off differential so I mean he's just awesome awesome offensive player like the Hawks are a top five offense and he is the biggest reason why and he's the best in the NBA at setting up dunks and layups as well he's just he's doing everything on the offensive end and I I think he's been so I went with him barely you could sell me on CP or jaw very easily you know jaw doesn't have quite the number of minutes that Trey or Chris Paul have also but I mean that's splitting hairs between Paul jaw and Trey ultimately with Trey on the first team but uh that's going to be unpopular because his team doesn't have as good of a record as the Suns or Grizz do but what Trey Young is asked to do he does incredibly well and the team succeeds in those ways and so I, I think that it is an important part of this and and the, the Hawks have been terrible on defense when he's been on the floor but they've been you know they've outscored opponents and when you consider their talent level that's I think reasonable and they've been below water when Trey Young has been off the floor mostly because their offense has been bad some of that is the talent that is available for those minutes but yeah I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that so that gets us through the first two teams and then you know John Morant we haven't talked about a ton in this but he of course is having a wonderful season just to get it out there briefly 27 points per game seven assists per game for jaw 25 per 58 percent true shooting on 33 usage he has moved into this and appropriate that the guys that we had this long discussion about being you know two and three in either order for top prospects part of the reason they're in that conversation for top prospects is they're this damn good already and both of them hopefully still have plenty of room to roam then you get into the car crash yeah emotional crisis third team all nba guard is always just a, a complete structure let's just establish our universe here zach levine James Harden, Luka Doncic, welcome back to the conversation, Luka, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Fred Van Vliet, who is the darling of the on-off models. I think that's pretty much the universe. Did I miss anybody? Um, did you say James Harden? Yes. Uh, Drew Holiday? I did not say Drew Holiday. Uh, Devin Booker, you got him. Right? I did. Yeah. So I think Luka was a clear spot for me. And yes, it, some of this is the derivative of where he's at right now that he he is on, you know, making a crazy ascension. But also I think we would just, it's pretty much a no-brainer to me that Luka Doncic is the best player of all these guys. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. And, 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 and has established a higher level of play previously to the point that it is like this is not a predictive award at this point you know this is just the season to this juncture but as a kind of a tiebreaker of sorts you go not only how is this guy playing now but like it's it it factors in in a couple different ways and he's been awesome for them and some of the struggles early felt anomalous and it's looking like they were yeah and he's gotten into better shape and and he certainly should own the fact that he wasn't in great shape his defense was not very good he had maybe his worst stretch of defense but that obviously uh, has improved as well he's the best passer of this group also has the most size and just the the most unstoppable of any of these players so you know if you wanted to, and i don't think that his stats are really any worse than donovan mitchell and devin Booker. like those guys have been a little bit more efficient than him those those are the other ones i thought you know harden has really fallen off also like quitting on your team again probably is gonna hurt he basically hadn't played for like three weeks also. he will he will not be considered to me for nba by the actual um yeah, we'll see what he does with Philly, I guess. And Levine, he's started to miss time. His efficiency has gone down. Part of that has been due to the injury as well. And Drew is having, I think, a very underrated offensive season. They are way better with him on the floor. Offensively, he is his off-the-dribble three-point numbers are very surprisingly good this year. Um, obviously brings it defensively, although he hasn't, to me, his effort has been spottier on the defensive end than in past years. Given his age and, and his offense low, that's not a huge surprise that the Bucks uh, have 
haven't exactly been destroying it this regular season um so but i, I think luca the numbers are close enough that i can just go with the guy that i believe to be your overall player and that left me with devin booker versus donovan mitchell for the final guard slot as it should <laughs> not the first who, time who rudy gobert not the last think? that's time. the question who who does rudy gobert think should get the final third both guys in their age 25 season both guys averaging basically 25 and a half points per game and roughly five assists per game mitchell has been the more efficient individual player 58 percent true shooting on 33 usage though he's also turning the ball over more so depending on how you want to quantify i was more efficient in terms of true shooting getting there mitchell has a larger passing role within his offense both guys have spent a fair amount of time with traditional point guards just depending on the roster issues neither guy is a great defender so it's not like that's a tiebreaker really for for either gentleman well, well i think it is i think devin booker is a much better defender than donovan mitchell although donovan mitchell has started to get it together a little bit lately but i, I think devin booker is clearly a better defender than donovan mitchell just i mean donovan mitchell is six foot you know and devin booker is six five like devin booker has a little bit of strength and switchability i think booker has more level. he has more defensive versatility yeah i, I think that's yeah. i think that's fair I, i'll, yeah. I'll and, rephrase and, and to I think it, I, it is not a strength for as... either but it is less of a strength for don mitchell yeah. which is wild when you consider that mitchell came into the nba as a with a rep as a defender and i mean we saw it going back to somebody else we already mentioned he locked up jason tatum in summer league and he just hasn't been that guy not the first not the last to be a defensive yeah. player early on and then lose that with an offensive yeah uh booker has played about 200 more minutes than mitchell as well which is another slight tiebreaker the defense is a slight tiebreaker uh, donovan mitchell is better in the impact metrics uh, epm has him at plus 5.2 versus plus 3.1 for booker so mitchell is eighth in epm and booker is 35th which is not that's not nothing but i i ultimately think and then the other thing that you got to throw in though for this again is another just little tiebreaker here devin booker 29 percent usage 75 percent true shooting in the clutch and he got 19 and 3 in clutch games when he plays 40.6 net rating in the clutch for the sun so between the defense few more minutes played the clutch stats i gave it to booker over mitchell again noting that you're we are quite splitting hairs but i did as well um so we're we're in agreement there we have a anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us
bunch of awards that are kind of similar caliber as the way that I like to think about it between like defensive player of the year, coach of the year, rookie of the year. Where do you want to go? Let's go coach of the year. It seems like this is always the case, especially at this juncture in the season where we haven't kind of had the end, which can be clarifying. There are a lot of coaches that I think are having a really good season. Sure. Steve Kerr, even though the Warriors have taken a step back without all their players. Budenholzer, I was banging that drum early in the season and the Bucks are firmly in some of these conversations in like in you know they're currently seventh in net rating they're getting i think they'll be in the top five by the end of the year depending on how things go taylor jenkins with the grizzlies who i think is if i had to put money down who will actually win it i think he will i'm not sure he'll win it but i think he'll have a real chance because of how good the grizzlies have been and all of them have done an amazing job i'll shout out michael malone too for the challenge of navigating this denver season he does also have the mvp which helps none of those coaches made my top three that's interesting uh so what was your top three then i don't know how to deal with chris finch this year because i think he's a good coach and i think some of what minnesota has done defensively being top half of the league there's some there's a little bit of anomalous stuff here they had a lot of shooting luck early in the year but part of what he has done well is understanding that the way this defense was going to be effective with carl anthony towns limitations was getting a ton of turnovers and that yeah. part has worked but well how is jim boylan how is he not in the coach of year discussion <laughs> two years ago and they've gotten better offensively too they had those real struggles at the beginning of the year they're now 10th in clean the glass offensive rating so for me it's part of it is how do you how well have you done relative to the cards you were dealt oh i've also forgot to mention jb bickerstaff in this who will also probably get some serious consideration i'm still a little bit a little bit shaky on him in terms of like how much of this is his coaching to know so finch like all these guys it's putting hairs like the top eight or so i think you could make an argument for all of them yeah i i personally had a clear top six interesting okay um, um and no. then i'll go number two is eric spolstra i think he's Wait, a so, so who's your number one money Williams. okay yeah I mean, he was my number one yeah. also. i mean he has done a wonderful job this the suns are the best team in the league and a part of that is they have awesome personnel but a part of that is also they've missed a lot of t- they've missed a lot of guy players at points during the season they're going to continue to do so and they've continued to have their head above water they execute consistently well they they have managed like not only have they managed absences but they've managed absences of players that you weren't sure they could replace like eight and missing that time we're going to see it more with chris paul unfortunately upcoming williams has been awesome and i so when i said the thing about like taylor jenkins potentially winning i think monty williams is going to win it and is going to deserve it but jenkins is theirs but i wanted to mention spo just because miami is another team that is talented but has had a lot of guys out they have been been way better than i thought they would be and they've been way more injured than even i thought they'd be and i thought they would be pretty injured or rusty or whatever a component of it of their surprising successes been these guys like we worried a lot about their depth and those players have been a lot better i give a portion of that credit to spoon the coaching staff i give a portion of that credit to pat riley and the front office because they i think you have to give points to both sides because they saw something in max Struess and gabe vincent and caleb barton that i didn't necessarily see and those guys have been great but spo deserves a lot of that credit as well so So that's broadly where i have things but i'm interested in in what you saw as your top six yeah so i went with monty first as well i would have no problem there's always a question of who do you think is the best coach in the nba right now versus who had the best season or was the most above expectations or whatever and you know i would probably say my top three coaches are monty williams steve kerr and eric spolstra but jenkins has led this grizzlies team to such a ridiculous finish that that has to be recognized so i had him too steve kerr still had him number three i realized that a little bit of bloom is off the warriors rose to some degree because they have they didn't play that well coming into the break oh they did also have like a 
nine game winning streak without Draymond for that. But I think the way that Kerr has, and I, and I think have Clay Thompson coming back has kind of messed up his rotations a little bit. That's been a difficult thing to deal with his reintegration as well. They basically have one big man available on the team. Like that's been difficult to navigate also. But, you know, nobody thought this Warriors team, at full, even at full strength, was going to be anywhere near this good. I think he's done one of his best coaching jobs. And Spo, obviously, you talked about him. I thought you were eloquent there. Billy Donovan to have the Bulls at 38 and 21. Some of that is, you know, the clutch heroics of DeMar DeRozan. You know, I don't know that Billy Donovan deserves much credit for DeMar DeRozan hitting a one-legged three-pointer against the Pacers to win the game. But certainly, the defense that he was able to craft when they were at full strength was very impressive. They've, of course, fallen off now with some of the absences that they've had. And then Bickerstaff would be my my sixth as well. He's, Even if, he's done, I'm sorry? He's done really well. Yeah. And I do think that he's... One thing I'll give him credit for is there have been times when Cleveland just hasn't had guys available and that they've had a fair number of injuries and that he's managed to not only keep them afloat, but to just have them win the games they're supposed to win even when they've had guys out, which I think is a, a mark of a pretty good coach. But yeah, Monty is number one for me. I, I'm not sure if I would call him the best coach in basketball. I'd want to see him a little bit more in the playoffs but yeah i mean he's been unbelievable so far this year where would you like to go next this is a very challenging defensive player of the year point in part because some of the most impactful defenders have just missed time and defensive player of the year has always been murky to me in terms of most outstanding versus most valuable as i understand it the criteria doesn't really clarify on that point i broadly lean towards kind of more my all nba theory which is if you played enough it's best defender not anything else and there are the usual suspects are in the conversation if you think Draymond has played enough to be eligible, of course he he earns that place. Yeah. Rudy Gobert is number. I don't. He would be he would be my number one if he'd played in full. But it's just it's been Rudy Gobert missed extended time. He's number one in defensive Raptor. So his case. I mean we can go into his case. And then I'm going to start with my number one. I I mentioned this in the MVP. I know that he is lower on the models. And I would be very interested to the people who make that to have a conversation with the people who make those to figure out why. But Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Bucks are doing the things well when he's on the floor. They're doing the math problem things well. It is they're they're rim protecting, they're defensive rebounding, they're not fouling. Their defense has been very good overall when he's been on the floor, despite the early part of the year, not the whole year, but the early part of the year, not having the typical overall defensive personnel, and obviously not having for Kobe's at all. And my question. Is in that is, are they giving credit to someone else? Because I have no idea who in the hell they would be giving that credit to if it's not him. Because when you look at these these Bucks lineups, when Giannis is out there, uh, they're typically it's with Bobby Portis, who is not the lead defender in those lineups. They're uh, they sometimes have Chris Middleton at the four. Obviously, he's not the rim protector, and so I get frustrated because I wonder about this. Like, okay, it's not like the Bucks have been bad. So there, one way that this that this can happen is there just isn't as much credit to go around. And so then you could say, like, you're going to get that. When Giannis has been on the floor, the Bucks have a 107.8 defensive rating. That's 77th percentile per cleaning the glass. Falls off a cliff when Giannis is off. So I I don't understand, personally, maybe it's that I'm missing something or or something else, like that defensive EPM, defensive Raptor, just aren't, they aren't on the Giannis defensive train. I have him number one for defensive players. Yeah, I think it's pretty clearly Gobert to me. Um, I have him second. Him, even with 
with them having missed some time just again you don't want to go the oh hey missed some time and they sucked but when that was always what the theory was anyway that like he was the only thing that was making their defense respectable and then you actually see it in action it's pretty gets put in a pretty stark relief and the only thing that gave me a little pause with gobert is that some of this is personnel but the jazz have been a little bit worse in the things they're usually doing well when gobert's on the floor 75th percentile on defensive rebounding teams are finishing three and a half percent better around the rim when gobert's on the floor than compared to last year but they also shoot 7.5 percentage points fewer of their shots at the rim when he's in the game um and that's with typically there have been some exceptions a traditional center behind him oh yeah you're talking about white yeah or or even yokozuke so so you mentioned the bucks defense falling off a cliff without Giannis. they're 5.1 points per 100 better when he's uh, on the floor this year defensively you know that's not like a crazy number Gobert one of the it's one of the bigger differential not the biggest yeah Yeah, i I mean among candidates like bam is at 7.8 uh and i mean Jokic, we talked about him is at 10 uh you know gobert is at 7.2 it's just not as crazy of a number and what are they when he is in the game and they're still not like unbelievable when he is in the game 108 a 108 roughly defensive rating but they are great at defensive rebounding they're great at not fouling opponents don't take a shot shot of shots around the basket and those shots they take around the basket don't go in so so if you want to do the um the shooting shooting around the rim 62.4 on the floor 68 percent when he's off in six like that's it that's a huge difference and then frequency is a pretty similar frequency is a a difference as well you know like they're two two percentage points fewer shots around the room when you're on there so like they're doing they're doing those things well when he's out there and they're falling apart when he's not those ways and like that I mean, that's the whole like that's the whole bubble and with Gobert is more obvious part because the defense is more limited in the ways so, so you know it's it, Quinn Snyder justifiably so has built his defense and the team has built their personnel around Gobert's limitations so I, I think it's a very similar story for those two guys so I had Gobert one uh Giannis two who'd you have at three I still had Draymond as playing well enough to be there I did consider like I, I brought this up the last time we did awards that I'm at the point now where Evan Mobley should be considered but I think that if I had if I considered Draymond ineligible I would have had Bam or third I guess third yeah I actually had Jaron Jackson Jr. third interesting um I was inspired by the fact that opponents shoot 7.9 percentage points worse at the rim when he's in the game that that's pretty decent he's been one of the better shot blockers uh the tracking data as far as what teams shoot against him at the rim is pretty good Mobley has fallen off a little bit in that particular statistic and uh, I think again just green not playing enough i would and bam i probably would have above jaron jackson also had he played more and and would have him right in this mix but you know jaron jackson jr amazingly has played a full season and and these other guys haven't to the point where you know once you're talking about having played like 50 percent or more minutes it it gets tough um but yeah i mean that i wasn't particularly inspired by any of the candidates for frank what's next sir the year and number one for me is evan mobley i don't know how do you want to spend a lot of time on mobley versus scotty barnes and some of the other ones or do we just agree that he's been the best so far i think we can uh, agree with that i don't i actually don't have scotty barnes uh number two but uh, but yeah i mean we could just go through it here i mean uh, the case for mobley he's actually a negative on offense in epm but i mean if you look at some of the epms for the leading contenders here basically nobody is in the positive by very much and mobley has a plus 3.1 
defensive epm and i don't really buy that he's a negative player and then you're really hard pressed to find anybody else who's in the positive among these realistic candidates although franz wagner is the one to me who is at least in the positive at at plus 0.8 and 56 percent true shooting for him as well shooting 37 percent on threes i think he's been the second most effective rookie pretty clearly so you're talking far. about franz wagner um yeah you're making me question i kind of I, maybe i auto put barnes a little bit there i so i think i thought i had three guys kind of in this conversation below mobley mobley's one um barnes yeah. franz wagner and herb jones jones has been this monster defender overall and he has a smaller offensive role than franz wagner but he's doing a good job of it Herb Jones, 59% true shooting on just 13% usage, including 36% on threes. And yeah, I guess, so I went Barnes, Jones, Wagner, but I had them all in the same tier. Why do you have Wagner so low? I think he's the I think he's the worst defender of the three. Not that he's been terrible. He's been better than I expected. Um, And I, I, I think he is a better, I, I mean, it, I think Scotty Barnes might be the most overrated defensive player in the NBA right now. Like I just... Every time I watch the guy, he's getting blown by. It's insane. He definitely had a rough go of it in the last, the game we did for the NBA cast shortly before the break. And so at, at a certain point, I need to, like, I, I watch the Raptors a fair amount, but at, at a certain point defensively, not that any measure is perfect, I kind of need to lean a little bit more on the models. He is only a faint positive there. Um, and Wagner is a faint positive as well per defensive Raptor. We've talked about EPM a little bit on this as well. Herb Jones is a clear positive there. And I think Jones has been better on either end than either of those guys. See, I'm going to, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm tethering too much with Scotty Barnes to draft position and everything else like that. Well, I mean, he, he was, I think, better in the early part of the year. He also, the shooting has been like, the, he'll go through these periods where he's aggressive and then he won't be aggressive when he hasn't hit a few for a while. Um, you know, so he was number three for me. I just think that Wagner has been the more dynamic offensive force. He's been a better shooter, easier to fit around. And I don't think that Barnes' defense at a minimum is like so much better than Wagner's. So, so you didn't, did you, did, did um, you, are you just lower on what Herb Jones has done than I am? Well, I mean, you'll recall that my general philosophy here is that I try to default to who I think the better prospects are overall. Now, I think Cade Cunningham might be the best prospect of any of these guys. He would certainly be number two on the list as far as the prospect. But you know, his numbers have just been so bad from an efficiency standpoint. And I think he's going to come around a little bit. He had such an awful start to the year and seemed like he was really coming on and then struggled going into the break. So I'm only at 49% true shooting. So really tough to put him in the top right, three like, based on that. It's possible to me that Cade Cunningham and poss- possibly Jalen Green are in the trajectory where you don't walk away from their rookie. Like they don't win rookie of the year. They're not necessarily firmly in the conversation, but you don't walk away from it thinking the pick was a mistake. You know, like that, it, it, that might yeah. end up being the Cade Cunningham story. So yeah, he wasn't, I didn't yeah. seriously consider him for top three. I'm yeah. So so Jones is just not a high enough ceiling prospect uh, to I, yeah, me. I, I, I don't particularly care. I don't care that much about that. And I think his defense has been phenomenal. And he's done it in a significant role for the Pelicans, who have been a viable team, even without Zion Williamson. Like when they've had Brandon Ingram, they've been roughly, you know, like a 500-ish team, which is impressive. And Herb Jones has been a part of that. And I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah. Now, now Jones, I mean, still only, you know, EPM plus 0.4, right? It's not like if he is, if he's coming up here and it's like, oh man, these impact metrics are just unbelievable for him, then you might 
might be I mean, able Ra- to Raptor get me past. So, but that's a, yeah. that's a different one. Okay, he's plus fair. two point. Yeah, he's, he's plus two point one in defensive Raptor, which is third behind Mobley and Austin Reeves. I've said I'm skeptical of Austin Reeves' number there. I mean, I think he's had an okay year, but that's overstating things a bit. Yeah. Well, it's this overall is very interesting. You know, we love this rookie class. I'm sure people are like, well, where's Josh Giddy? Well, he's got 48 percent true shooting. That's that's where he is. Um. So there are a lot of guys who really have shown a lot of promise. Like Alperin Shangun is another one. But just when you look at the actual impact they're having on the floor this year, like, yes, there are a lot of guys who have really had some great flashes. As well, you know, Davion Mitchell is another one, but he's a 48% true shooting. You know, so there's just, if you're really talking about rookies who have been effective this year, it's Evan Mobley, and then maybe it's Franz Wagner, and then maybe it's Scotty Barnes, and it's like, you know, and then maybe it's Herb Jones, but there really just are not very many rookies, as, as always, who are actually really helping their teams win this year. Do you want to do best best sophomore? I don't know how much time we want to spend on this. Lamelo is number one, and there isn't. I don't. Uh, is is it so I obvious? Are you who are you who are you putting in the conversation? I'm interested in this. Well, I, I, Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain's my number two as well. Is yeah. Now I, again, I think Lamelo has a, a different role than Bain. He's way younger. He has fallen off some recently, I would say. But yeah, I would still have Lamelo at, at number one. But I don't. I, I mean, I think you can make the argument very clearly that Bain has had a better season um i think i actually still have anthony edwards number two and bane three um edwards has been he's been a good play the second offensive option on a good team and their defense has been fine you know he's been part of that so uh, there are certainly many holes in his game that you would like to see him improve but i probably would still have him at number two and then i'd go bane number three apologies to tyrese halliburton because he's just too bad defensively at this point but you could see halliburton jumping into this mix as the main guy in indiana over the last couple months of the season i'm excited to see hal burton with the pacers the rest of the year now brogdon could be back sooner and so that's that will change that will change the dynamics and potentially rick carlisle is going to have to choose in some moments between duarte and halberton but halberton has had this nice stretch for for edwards i would say i'm feeling better about him as a as an overall nba player you know the his defense has improved meaningfully and being over 50 percent on twos that was one of my bigger frustrations last year he's at, at 51 now that gives edwards a little bit more latitude um we should also mention Tyrese Maxey in the best sophomore conversation as well I I think I'd have him fifth yeah I I think that's fair you know his distribution and defense are not quite where you you would hope that they would be um but he could very easily be in the top three of this list going forward but of course we won't do third year guys so it won't matter (laughs) it'll it'll matter in our hearts um okay so let's get to six man of the year I do not find this a particularly inspiring collection which is shocking because I had in my notes from the first month that this was an awesome sixth man year and we lost Jalen Brunson because he started too many games now and Tyler Hero was playing really well and he's now down to 53 percent true shooting I think Hero is probably gonna win it but yeah there's nobody that I was incredibly impressed by none of these players that I had in the candidate list have an EPM above 1.5 except for Kevin part of Moore. that is also there aren't really those great defensive guys which you, you very rarely win the award yay points but are often and our favorites. So Iguodala at a moment in the past, Thaddeus Young last year, there really isn't somebody who is a strong defender and a capable offensive player that really fits this. I mean, some might have like Alex Caruso in that, but he hasn't played enough and I don't think he's played well enough. 
I cheated a little bit with my number one because he is technically eligible, but he will no longer be eligible like next week. And that's Anthony Simons. Simons, though, part of it was just as a vessel to talk about the offensive monster that he's been over the last little while as a starter, but still is still as eligible. This is one of my favorites, favorite stats with this. Anthony Simons on both Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, not on the floor. The Blazers have a 115.2 offensive rating. That is 81st percentile per queen the glass. We brought it before in a 15 and 60 that some of Simon's synergy, you know, like you look at some of the synergy splits, they're really, really good. And he, you know, has a huge role, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. He's kind of now a starter on a, you know, on a team that isn't necessarily putting their pedal to the metal with all the guys that are out. So I went with Simon's over Kevin Love, and I was stunned at how much of a model darling Kevin Love is when you consider how good Cleveland starters have been. Yeah, the reason that I couldn't go with Cam- Kevin Love number one or even number two, actually, I, will, I have kind of a surprise pick okay. for number two, uh, is just because he's not closing games. You know, I, I mean, I think you really, and you know, I guess my number two isn't necessarily closing games either, but I thought that that was, and he's not playing that many minutes. Still has a lot of weaknesses in his game. Like he's been very good. Like I think there is an argument I wouldn't be upset if he were the sixth man of the year. Yeah, and actually the way I did, I must have just you know because I tried to do basically half of games started on Basketball yeah, they, Reference. They, by the way, and, if anybody who, who yeah. works at Basketball Reference listens to this podcast, you took away the way that you could the way you could actually do this because of the like it was there was a mathematical thing that you could use. They took that away, and now I had to kind of like eyeball it. And so for Simon's, he's played started twenty six of 53 games so he is safe by the thinnest of margins yeah yeah so so he's definitely number one right now i mean just like jalen brunson who was uh, the obvious number one last year last week or not last week last month um so my number two is actually cameron johnson of the i like that i nearly had johnson in my top three i think he's a very good player not the highest leverage offensive player or defensive player but he has been very efficient he was actually my number i'd say was in the conversation for four for me the other guy that i had here who also might end up not being eligible because is starting but I think he's not going to start enough is Alec Burks Burks has he's kind of getting the Derrick Rose shine of the on-off numbers looking really good partially because the Knicks starters were so bad defensively at the start of the year but he's a part of what makes the offense tick I think he's Burks has been a capable defender so I, I put him on but let's talk about Cam what, what were you what were you saying about it being a, an uninspiring crop it's this still year? an uninspiring crop this year <laughs> but let's go to Cam let's go to Cam yeah, Burks to me I was just like you know I realize he's played a lot of minutes off the bench and like his stats are okay he, just I haven't been impressed <laughs> just watching the the New York Knicks of just like what he's doing out there like I don't think he's really driving that much that team he's kind of more of a, a stopgap and you know he's not a point guard he's been thrust into that role I I get that but he hasn't been I, I thought he had a better year last year frankly and you know wasn't really in this conversation as much um yeah Cam Johnson is just like awesome shooter movement shooter um you know can get to the rim a little bit and it's a solid defender like he's he's just he's one of the few kind of like real players who could start on a really good team on the wing that comes off the bench usually those guys are very rare and they start you know that's that draft for him was was really good so i I think he's just a more valuable player in the absence of someone who is just really wowing you at this two and three spot you know montrez harrell was his stats are as good as ever offensively and he just got traded for nothing right (laughs) like how good could he be uh, at that point they just apparently wanted him off the team for you know some crappy seconds um uh johnson second kevin love third 
Just to briefly mention him, um, EPM loves Gary Payton II, and, you know, he's actually second in the entire NBA in defensive EPM at plus four. I think that overstates the case. Some of that could be on off. And Payton, I don't think he's played, kind of played enough. You know, he's only playing 16, 16 minutes per game for the Warriors. He does fill a role. So I briefly, briefly considered him in this uninspiring class. His teammate, Otto Porter, I think has been an, an important part of the Warriors surprising kind of like bench viability. And then I mean, mentioned Caruso just, I think he was the, the Bulls defense has been better than I anticipated, but this is, this is not the strongest year for six man. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The year. Let's get to executive of the year. Yeah, you know, I actually still have the same top three as I had last time, which is uh, Bob Myers, number one, Pat Riley, number two, Arturis Karnaschewicz, number three. I would accept really any orders on that. I realize that what Myers did in theory wasn't as transformational, but he's also built one of the deepest teams that I can ever remember. And in a way, when they had, they've had two guys who were out for so much of the year uh, with Clay and Wiseman, and they had to build around that they didn't waste roster spots on centers who ultimately weren't going to matter in the playoffs uh, getting Gary Payton the second over the objection of some of the Warriors veterans he's been really good uh, Otto Porter was a great signing. if you look at what they did with minimum signings compared to teams like the Lakers or Portland and yes they have a little bit more appeal than some of these places but they did a really awesome job and Pat Riley the Kyle Lowry trade was definitely pretty risky, but like the, the to me, they are playing good enough this year that that was worth it. The PJ Tucker signing was fantastic, and then well, and, you know, and guys, a couple yeah, the, other the lower end guys, yeah, the lower end guys, yeah. I mean, so the bet we were openly concerned about Miami's depth, and Riley, made, you know, we talked about the way that Bob Myers used minimum contracts. He bet on their development staff and their identification, and that bet has paid out far higher than we. Would would have anticipated with Struess and Vincent and Caleb Martin all doing really well. Yurtsevin stepped into a role when both Bam and Deadman are out. So that that has all been really impressive. They also got Kyle Lowry. They gave up Goran Dragic, who didn't end up moving the needle for the Raptors. We'll see what he does with Brooklyn. And Precious Chua, yeah, that's, that's totally well, fine. Well, and to do that as a sign and trade, which then enabled them to keep the mid-level and sign Tucker was fantastic as well. I mean, you know, they basically got Toronto. Like, I'm not even sure if Precious Achua in the end was enough to just take on the $19 million dead salary of Goran Dragic, who maybe they didn't know he would be totally dead salary at that time. And then you also throw in that they got to get Kyle Lowry back as well. I mean, that was not really a very good trade by Toronto, I I don't think, uh, in the end. Although I I liked Achua at the time. I, I got it at the time, but I think Achua has been a little disappointing. Well, we also thought and, that Dragic would give them something, and that ended up not being the case. Yeah. Whether that was anticipated by Masai Ujiri, we don't know. But no, no, I, I suppose not. But but anyway, I mean, to, but to do that and then be able to also t- sign Tucker, and not only sign Tucker to help them, took him away from their biggest rival right. as well. 
I mean, that that has some value. Yeah. Like I, I, have I might pick them to beat them. Yeah. Significant part for that reason. Yeah, and then Arturas, you know, the Bulls obviously are you know, thirty-eight and twenty-one as we record this. That's great. Their net rating is not that sexy. It's like around two. So they've had kind of these clutch heroics, which I, I don't necessarily give him the credit for, but certainly remade the team with Caruso, Lonzo, DeRozan. I still think they gave up more than they needed to for DeRozan. Obviously, it was worth it, and they, that's why they ended up doing it. Uh, but you know, both in terms of how much they paid him with his lack of a market and then having to do the trade as well. But to get Lonzo in the sign and trade, that was really good. They, they then were able to stay over the cap and sign Caruso to the mid-level. So uh, pretty impressive. And then even some of the guys in the margin, like Javante Green has been starting for them and, most of the year. And Derek Jones Jr. worked out reasonably well before he got yeah. hurt. Like, I, I put Arturis, so I have Riley 1, Arturis 2, Bob Myers 3. And part of the reason I have Arturis 2nd is that his theory of the Bulls was better than mine. Like I just thought it wasn't going to work. And he was right, at least in the regular season. And that is important. This team is in a higher strata than I expected. Honorable. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. A couple of honorable mentions. Tommy Shepard for the Westbrook trade. I haven't loved everything else that the Wizards have done, but not only getting off of that year, but getting players that could help the Wizards and keep them kind of in the play and mix. They didn't end up getting that much for Montrezl Harrell, which was unfortunate. And also, yeah, I mean, I I, I, I like... Well, so on Shepard, you know, Ethan Strauss just wrote about Dan Fagan and a great Dan Fagan quote was when GMs would complain about their owner not letting them do stuff. And Dan Fagan would say, well, well, your job is to get the owner to do stuff. Sam, and I just Sam don't Preston, think that, maybe. yeah. And I just don't think that Tommy Shepard ultimately has been able to do that. The Wizards, yeah, I think they made some nice moves. The Dinwiddie thing didn't work out. Yeah, getting Porzingis for where this team is and where they want to go might turn out to be a pretty decent move. But the Beal situation is still totally up in the air. And you know, I didn't think the Kispert pick was particularly inspiring. Yeah, Although he that. does actually have one of the largest on-off differentials offensively in the NBA, but I don't think that's him necessarily causing that. Um, so I, I just he fell out of this for me the two that I thought we should probably discuss more though are Daryl Morey and Kobe Altman sure Morey used the you know kind of adapted to the Ben Simmons situation very well and I mean it worked out I mean if you believe especially if you believe in James Harden but the theory of the case is you have you know the um you have you getting the best player you can around Joel Embiid and while I'm not in love with betting on James Harden over the next five years. He is the best player that Maury could have gotten right now. Yeah, certainly if you were going to say in the offseason that they were going to be able to make this trade for Harden, you would have been pretty damn happy about that. Exactly. And, and they and, did give up know, future assets and they gave up Seth Curry in the deal, but they did get a stronger player than we expected them to get. No, I, I think that's right. And we'll see. Maybe there's going to be an alchemy with the James Harden and Joel Embiid. And also let's give Maury credit for kind of working the back channels, getting this trade done, giving Harden wanted out. He managed to give him an off ramp. Um, so we'll see, you know, and they are in a better position than they were, I think, at, at the start of the season. Altman deserves the, I don't give him that much credit for the drafting of Mobley, but the Jared Allen contract is actually, we thought it was an overpay. That's actually looking pretty good at this point in time. Now, I, and they've made this huge improvement, obviously. You know, I don't think that the marketing trade, you know, the, they did get a guy who's going to be part of what they're doing, which Larry Nance, they sold high on him at the right time. And I don't know if that Portland pick now in the end, 
end is looking that great maybe they'll be back in the playoffs next year who knows but that that pick is a lot of protected forever and ever for eternity forever uh but also i think the levert trade to me is was a little bit too aggressive giving up that houston second and the first as well this year to get a guy who i don't think is a huge needle mover for them uh he did acquire ricky rubio which before rubio got hurt was a great trade for them and jb bickerstaff has worked out well so far we'll have to kind of see, yeah. see I, I mean that he didn't hire him this year so but that's I th- not I part think of the they, analysis I think necessarily he, did but. he didn't he get like the full-on contract this year or was that the year before? uh no no he he's been on the full okay. yeah because remember it's the he became the interim coach after the slugs thing that's right okay oh god the, the whole which was thing. i think 1920 i want to mention, mention one more executive and i didn't can is that and that's kevin pritchard because he yeah yeah that's good sign yeah. got a great coach in rick carlisle the Sabonis trade I like for them it has been a challenging year and it also might end up partially with all these guys missing time might end up being that they kind of took their medicine but also are in a decent place for the long term and I like I like Tyrese Halliburton he is a better individual player slash asset than I expected them to get in a Sabonis trade and part of why I wanted Pritchard to talk about him is it might end up being exactly what Herb Simon wanted I don't know that it's the best for their like ceiling but the idea that they take a step back briefly the Pacers could be a pretty good team next year yeah I'm very interested to see where it goes next season but yeah I I really appreciated the vision to move Sabonis get younger hopefully get a good draft pick this year and just to turn into the skid a a little bit rather than just continue to desperately claw like some of these other teams have i think you know having the fortitude to make that decision I, i certainly appreciate so not executive of the year and to me I can't say that we have the trade deadline, so we have some new information on some of these guys. And I would say that my two highest picks of Rob Polinka and David Griffin, one and two, have only exacerbated their rankings at this point. Rob Polinka put on a pretty impressive tour de force for not executive of the year. Just and you can throw in <laughs> you can throw in LeBron James's like shadow co GM for I, I don't want to go into this again because we'll do it again when Rob Polinka wins not executive of the year in a month and a half. But for fundamentally missing understanding not only Russell Westbrook but also what made the bubble Lakers so good and how the ecosystem that fostered their championship for having these capable defenders who could hit open shots and not understanding how to use the money and so you talked about how a part of being a good general manager is getting the owner on the right path that's also getting your star player on the right path and so whether it was well and then they decided to stand up to him once the milk was already spilled so so you you've got the worst of both worlds you have a shitty team and you got lebron pissed at you now right so yeah is there the other dishonorable mention i want to mention is leon rose i i think leon rose the difference why he's not kind of as firmly in this is because maybe it's because i thought the roofs were going to work and they they haven't really yeah so david griffin obviously the offseason was a little bit mystifying. They did get Herb Jones in the draft. That was pretty good. But aside from that, Trey Murphy the third has not worked out at all, even though we liked that pick at the time. The salary dump to get a bunch of salary cap space. Now, they did end up using the trade exception that they got in that, in that Bledsoe salary dump to get cj mccollum but the problem is that they also i think made a pretty bad trade to get cj mccollum and that they're now for next year they are not set up well they're going to be right up against the tax they've in almost all likelihood given up their 
first round lottery pick to get a 30 year old who again i mean in theory you're still trying to build around zion williamson there's clearly a moral hazard going on with david griffin potentially about to lose his job he's been ridiculed for his attempts to communicate (laughs) with zion regardless of whether zion and the people around him are extremely difficult the fact is that the organization appears to have an extremely poor relationship with him and griffin it's hard not to blame him at least in part for that and you know there have been some other really bad headlines too like the alvin gentry debacle where he got into a confrontation with him after griffin had some comments that were reported about uh, alvin not doing a a good job it's uh yeah i I mean all all of it is just looking really bad right now in new orleans and now i will say it looks like willie green is a keeper at coach i think he's done a nice job this year so you give him some credit uh, for that although they did get turned down by like their first three choices i think willie green and herb jones and to a lesser extent jose alvarado who's having a nice year as a two-way guy those mitigate some of it but also they basically let lon a ball go Sadoransky Temple and that and that uh, second yeah yeah to, to do the like why they even did the sign and trade if you're gonna let him go do it without taking out a bunch of shitty salary that's not even gonna help you and giving Garrett Temple a second guaranteed year yeah not looking not looking fantastic also David Griffin signed Josh Hart to this fascinating structured contract and I thought that was working out pretty well for them and then Hart's in the CJ McCollum trade so you're not getting really the benefits of that hopefully the Blazers saw him as positive value hopefully the Blazers keep him but that is not I don't think that was the reason the CJ trade happened they gave up a bunch to, to make that happen and presumably a better pick than the Blazers would have expected assuming it conveys which there's no guarantee that it will this year but I expect it to um so so my number three um I've got a number of guys I'm considering John Horst is uh rising up the rankings here a little bit uh the not not keeping pj tucker and and i didn't think that the abaca trade was amazing he was in a difficult spot with the divincenzo injury and that he hadn't played well but for that to be all that they got maybe serge abaca will work out and i'll be wrong but as of right now i gotta call it as best i can see it and to just not have anyone to to prioritize bobby portis and george hill over pj tucker i thought was insane at the time and i think that looks even worse that they just don't have any kind of a stretch for they don't really have the personnel to switch with the honest at center very well anymore they don't have anyone to guard kevin durant if they got to play against him or jimmy butler if they got to play against him um you know maybe if brooke lopez comes back and and plays well things will look a little bit better but i mean this team has no depth this year like they they have it's like drew holiday chris middleton and Giannis have played plenty of minutes there's no excuse for them to be this bad they have no depth around those guys that's why they are where they fifth in the east right now like that's not they're gonna have a pretty difficult road it, it seems like unless they can really turn it around here so yeah the, that hasn't been too impressive um vivek ranadive slash monte mcnair i mean the sabonis halliburton trade you you got you and i both pan that one i agree with you on rose neil o'shea as well it's kind of funny that <laughs> uh you know he he got fired uh i will say the cj extension didn't look as bad but the nance move backfired uh none of those minimum signings really worked out like zeller got hurt kind of somewhat predictably i mean i liked zeller as a flyer but they also basically had no other big men to play behind yusuf nurkic either and you know when dame lillard wasn't able to be just so unbelievable things fell apart i think i, I had old shea here i'm actually going to go with horst for right now i'm really concerned about 
like because it wasn't even a money thing like they clearly prioritized george hill and bobby portis over pj tucker and then again like we talked about with pat riley pj tucker left for one of their big rivals as well he's gonna be playing against them this year in addition to or at least for one of their eastern conference rivals as it, opposed it also, to yeah it also makes horse horse standing worse because it wasn't ownership not willing, being willing to spend like that's what we originally right. exactly thought exactly it was going to be but that makes him a worse executive if the issue was you in my opinion misidentifying talent rather than having a constraint put on you by okay we got a couple more categories here to finish out with biggest surprise team of the year i saw it as there being two top ones here where they're both meaning their echelons better than i expected and also good enough that those echelons really matter and those are the cleveland cavaliers and the golden state warriors i went with the Cavs at this juncture because they're doing really well i did i did not see them as like at the moment they're eighth in cleaning the glass net rating field mostly by their defense and the warriors you know they're they're third in their third in net rating i didn't expect them to be this good especially when you consider that they haven't had their three best players available at any point in time but i'm going Cavs over warriors there are a lot of other good stories that we can discuss i don't want to spend a ton of time on that there are yeah i don't know how you differentiate here i mean i think if you look at who's been on the floor all season miami has got to be in that mix Sure. The Bulls clearly have to be in that yes. in that mix too, and then the Memphis Grizzlies, who are yes. at, at least going to get the three seed and might even get the two seed this year. When I think a lot of people saw after the Valanciunas trade that this might be kind of a consolidation year, and so I think probably if I had to look at like which of these I would consider the most unlikely, probably would have to be Cleveland. I mean, for them to be twelve games over five hundred right now, when I thought they would be one of the five or six worst teams in the league, it, it probably does have to be the. Cleveland Cavaliers. What about a biggest surprise player? Simons, we saw some of it. Herb Jones has done a really nice job when I did basically know he was off our radar but I'm going with DeMar DeRozan I him being in the MVP ballot conversation is a welcome wonderful development yeah. and that makes him number one I don't think there's anybody really close to him at this point in time yeah last time we talked about Tyrese Maxey and Miles Bridges and Cole Anthony some of those guys have fallen off and DeRozan if anything has just continued to get even better than he was before um biggest disappointing team the los angeles lakers oh yeah they're a negative net rating with lebron and ad on the floor it has been so bad when it has been close to what they've wanted and it hasn't been what they've like they haven't had the players available as much so i that is a big frustration it is it is disappointing lebron james not having that much probably time left as this level of player even though we did still him still being in the fringes of the mvp conversation in the lnba that's still wonderful that he's that at that point in his career but yeah i mean and and they're at the point where especially after the ad injury where it doesn't necessarily i don't know how much it matters if they figure it out like they're just they just can't get all the way back like that and that is something i did not expect i thought they could go through hiccups and lebron you know might miss some time anthony davis always misses some time but yeah they're they're so much worse than i thought they would be yeah and brooklyn was the only other competition but they're 24 and 12 when kevin durant plays sure i I would say the hawks and knicks have both been disappointing as well it was 
more foreseeable, I would say, in those in those cases, but they have been meaningfully worse. Most disappointing player? This I always try to couch this on on injuries, and but it is also based on my own expectations. Anthony Davis's numbers when he's been available have been pretty similar to last year, but I had thought and expected that last year was the anomaly. He missed a bunch of time due to injuries yeah. and everything else. And it like he just wasn't he wasn't the guy that I thought. And so you could mention like Julius Randle, where he has been significantly worse, but I also didn't think Randall was as good as he was last year. Whereas like Anthony Davis, he looked a lot better right before he got hurt again. But even broadly speaking, when he was out there, the Lakers weren't the team I thought they'd be. So I, I had a few candidates. De'Aaron Fox would certainly be one as well, but I I don't know how I can pick anyone other than Kyrie Irving. That's it. Yeah, that's a different kind of disappointing, but a reasonable argument. I mean, he not only has he not played, but he basically torpedoed the entire big three era that, you know, if he'd just been uh, available all year, this probably never happens. And they're, they could have been this unbelievable dynasty. And he completely torpedoed that by refusing to get vaccinated and just overall being a weirdo. And, and yeah, you know, like I said, the who deserves more sympathy between Kyrie Harden and Ben Simmons is certainly difficult to unpack. But I, I think I probably would put Kyrie lowest on that list. One other player I want to mention briefly is Spencer Dinwiddie. I had high hopes for him in Washington. He's at 50% true shooting on the season. And it has looked better when he's played without and there's some weird kind of chemistry friction stuff there but he has not been the player i, I hoped and expected yeah I, I would actually say bradley beal to me would have been higher uh, obviously he's injured now but while he was healthy uh, he had a very poor year and um you know damian lillard would be one but he that was due to injury luka Doncic has turned it around now Nikola Vucevic actually has really turned yeah. it around for the Bulls, uh, which has been exciting. Uh, Reggie Bullock was another guy I had on my list. He's really turned it around, so give some credit for that as well. Sadiq Bey is playing a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, Ky- Kyrie, it's just... <laughs> who, who else could it could it be uh, at this point? Um, all right, well, that will do it here for our February awards. So we'll be back with this. I guess our final attempt to, at this in early April before all the playing stuff happens and we'll hopefully give you one more pod this week too as we get back into the swing of things can't wait to just start watching some games and really digging in on what all these teams are now after the trade deadline as we see uh, the stretch run from all these squads so uh, hopefully you'll continue to enjoy being a dunked on prime member because we're going to be giving you lots of content for the next four months or so talk to y'all soon at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.